Good morning. If you want to, or if you would, be taking your Bibles and turning with me to 2 Corinthians as we continue walking through the, the letter to the Corinthians, the letter from the Apostle Paul to the, the people in Corinth who were followers of Jesus as, they, as he continues to instruct them and show them what it is for the old to become new. And so uh, we're going to continue that study this morning. We're going to actually look at chapters 8 and 9, focus in on verses uh, uh, verse 6 down through verse 14. It's going to be our primary focus, but we're going to pull in the, the other parts of Second Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 as, as we discuss maybe the most uncomfortable topic in the whole world to discuss as a group of people in a room in a church. Money. <laughs> uh, and giving to money to be, uh, giving money to God to be more specific. Uh, it's probably one of the most awkward things we can talk about as a group of people, just because it's something that that is very personal. It's not so much that we don't that we mind talking about money out there, you know, in, in culture, in, you know, at our job or wherever. It's more when we begin to talk about money as it relates to money that we give to the church or money that we give to God in support of his kingdom or money that we give away to others. Uh, and just to be perfectly honest with you, as a pastor, I would much rather talk about just about any other subject this morning other than money. In fact, I was trying to figure out a way to skip over these chapters that God wouldn't let me do it. Um, and so we're going to look at these chapters together. And the truth is, is that when you think about it, though, Jesus really lays the foundation for us. When you read through the Gospels, you realize that Jesus talks about money more than he talks about any other subject. He talks about money more than he talks about heaven, more than he talks about hell, more than he talks about sin, more than he talks about anything else. Jesus talks about money. And there's a reason for that. You see, Jesus used money to help us shine a light on what we actually worship, on where we are spiritually. You think about the, the, the young man that we call the rich young ruler that runs up to Jesus and says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know, what do I have to do? And Jesus said, Well, it's easy. Go sow everything you have. Give it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And the man walks away sorrowful because he had many possessions. Because his heart was set on his riches rather than on uh, the Lord. And the same thing is true of the parable that Jesus tells of the rich fool who had a great harvest, he had a great crop, he had a great increase in income, and, and he says, rather than taking care of people around him, he says, I'm going to build huge storehouses, and I'm going to store up all of this stuff, and I'm going to say to my soul, be happy, my soul, you have done well. And Jesus said of this man, he said, uh, this man is a fool, he says, because God said to him that very night, you fool, tonight your soul will be required of you, because your life does not consist in merely the essence of things. He said the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount. When you look at the Sermon on the Mount, he said not to lay up for yourselves treasures here on earth, but to lay them up in heaven. And the reason why is because wherever our treasure is, there our heart will be also. There our allegiance will be. There our mind will be. There our focus will be. He said if you try to serve God and you try to serve money at the same time, it won't work. They're two different masters. You have to choose one or the other. You have to choose God or you have to choose riches. And so Jesus has a lot to say about money and how's it, how it relates to our relationship to God. In fact, you could say this morning that the way that you treat money and the way that you treat your money in relationship to God shows you what you think about God himself. And so it is a, a very uh, 
important topic for us to cover. And so we'll, we'll begin reading in verse 6 of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7. Paul writes these words to us. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Will you join me in prayer? God, as we talk about this awkward subject, the subject of our giving and, and what it looks like in our lives, God, I pray that you would provide grace and mercy and love this morning. God, that you would uh, provide understanding and direction as we walk through this passage together. God, I pray that you would show us what we need to see and that we would have the, the grace from you, the strength from you to obey you. God, help us, even as we talk about something like money, help us to, to fall ever more in love with you, ever more in love with who you are and what you have done for us. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. And so what I'd like to do this morning is just take a few principles that we can learn from this passage. The first principle is this, that generous givers receive a greater reward. Generous givers receive a greater reward. Paul talks about this in verse 6. He, he, I mean, he makes it very clear. He says the point is this. When somebody says the point is this, what do you assume? They're making a point, right? This is what, he says, if you want to bull it down, here's what it comes down to. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And so if you give a little, you get a little. If you give a lot, you get a lot. He's referring to the practice of sowing seed. He's saying farmers who put out a lot of seed receive a larger harvest. I mean, what farmer ever cried as he puts out seed and says, man, what a waste of time and money. I can't believe I'm wasting all this seed, planting all these vegetables. You know, this is such a waste. No, I'm going to take all these seeds that I have and I'm going to store them up and I'm going to protect them and I'm going to keep them safe. I'm not going to waste them planting them. I mean, that would be a total waste. No, no farmer says that. Every farmer says the more seed I plant, the more crop I harvest. And so Paul says the same thing applies to us spiritually in the way that we give or don't give. The more that you give, the more that you get, the less that you give, the less that you get. This is not something new. This is not something unique. You look at Proverbs eleven twenty four. Paul says this, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds uh, what he should give and only suffers want. In other words, if you hold back what God would have you to give, you suffer want. You suffer as a result of not doing and not being obedient by giving into greed and overlooking the needs of others. And so this first principle here is that God uh, blesses generous givers. Generous givers get greater rewards. And the second principle that we see from verse 7 is that God loves cheerful givers. He delights in those who give cheerfully. He has a deep affection for it. He takes great pride in those who give uh, cheerfully, those who give with joy in their hearts. And so he says, let me show you what I mean. Uh, well, he's already shown them what he means in verse 1 of chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. He's writing to this group of people, these Corinthians, about an offering that they were supposed to have taken up. And so in order to get to his point, because apparently, you know, he wants to ease them into it, even as, you know, we would like to be eased into it. In verse 1 of chapter 8, he says, We want you to know, brothers, 
about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. And so he says these folks in Macedonia, they had almost nothing. They were in extreme poverty, but it overflows in wealth. Verse 3, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this is not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. He says they gave cheerfully. They gave because they wanted to give. They gave above their means because they wanted to take part in this. They were asking for the favor of taking part in this. Paul had been collecting an offering for those in Jerusalem that were going through a severe famine, that needed food, that needed shelter, that needed money, basically. And so these people in Macedonia, even though they had almost nothing, gave everything they could possibly give. And they gave not because someone forced them, not because someone talked them into it, not because they felt guilty, but because they wanted to do it out of joy. They wanted to do it cheerfully. It's not that someone forced them to give. They gave cheerfully. They gave with cheer in their hearts. They gave joyfully. Guys, we don't give because someone tricks us into giving. We don't give because someone guilts us into giving. You know, God is not interested in the gift given by people who are tricked or people who are guilted into giving. He doesn't want your arm twisted. He wants you to give because you want to give, because you desire to give, because it makes you happy to give. And so I'm, I'm not going to stand up here this morning and try and guilt you into giving. I'm going to stand up here this morning and try and trick you into giving. It has to be something that you want to do because you love the Lord. It has to be something that you want to do because God is your, the center of your universe and you want to give to Him. And so uh, you look at verse 8. He says, I, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know, and here's where he brings in Jesus. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. What Paul is saying here is, is that we look to the example of others. We look to the generosity of others, and we are inspired by that generosity. He's saying we're inspired by the generosity of the Macedonians to see, hey, they gave, and they gave freely, and they gave joyfully. And he says that not only did they give freely and joyfully, the one who saved us gave freely and joyfully. He made himself poor so that we could become rich. He gave up what he had so that we could enjoy his fellowship, so that we could be called sons and daughters of God. He says we look to him as our example. We look to him as our motivation. We look to him as someone that we want to emulate. And so he says that we, we look to Jesus. But then notice in verse 10, and in this manner I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. And so for a year they had been saying they wanted to do this, but for a year they had not done it. They had, they had told Paul they want to give. It's not that he's coming to them and begging them to give. No, they wanted to. They wanted to be a part of this relief effort, but they just hadn't gotten around to doing it. This is something that's sort of a, a side principle for us, which is this. When, when God calls us to do something, the best time to do it is then. When, when, when we feel God calling us to do something, the best time to do it is right then rather than later. And we, we know this to be true. Uh, last week, uh, Wednesday night, we were leaving after a meeting, and we're walking out to the parking lot, and I, I said, you know, man, I, 
I'm so, I just need to get back in the lifting. I need to get back in the working out. I, I want to go back and start doing that again. And, and Shane uh, Barrett was walking out with me. And he said, oh, so you going tomorrow? I said, eh, I think I'll go Friday. Here it is, Sunday, and I still ain't went. Right? We were talking about that this morning. We've been talking about it for like a year now. Right? I keep saying I'm going to go, and it's always the next day after the next day after the next day, and I don't ever go. But so often that happens to us when God lays something on our heart and He says, hey, John, you need to do this. Or, hey, hey, you need to go and do this. Or you need to, to, to respond to me in this way. And I say, ah, maybe tomorrow. And by tomorrow, Satan's come up with a good excuse. Right? That's typically what we're doing when we put it off as we're waiting until we have a good answer for him. And you give it enough time and you can come up with a good answer to talk yourself out of anything God calls you to do, can't you? Sometimes you're really good at it right off the bat. But when you feel conviction over something that God is calling you to do, you respond then rather than later. And so Paul says, by the way, y'all said you were going to do this. We're still waiting. In verse 12, uh, for if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. And, and here's, a, here's another sort of side principle. He says, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, here in verse 13, but that as a matter of fairness, and well, even on down. Uh, and and when it, so what he's saying is, is, as a matter of fairness, you give, and then as you give uh, to their need, later on in verse 14, he says that you, uh, they will give to your need. In other words, you help them now, later on, they will be able to help you. It's a mutual relationship. It is something that works among believers, that God uses us as a family to meet one another's needs. You guys know this to be true. I've witnessed so many accounts of generosity within this congregation where people give to others even without anyone knowing because they want to, not because someone tells them to, not because they have to, not because they're guilted into it, but simply because they want to. And so when you think of it in those terms, that's, that's what we're called to do. But you notice he says in relationship to what you have, not in relationship to what you don't have. It's not the amount that you give. It's the amount that you give in relationship to what you have. He's not saying make yourself go bankrupt to support other people. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying as you are able, as God has blessed you, you bless others. It's not based on the dollar amount. It's based on the amount he has blessed you with. And so you can be just as much of a blessing to others with a small amount as others who give a large amount. The point is, is what has God given you? And what is he calling you to do? And so then, then you come back and, so we can get back into our text. Look at verse 8 of chapter 9, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Uh, he talks here about what we can expect as we give. Verse 8 says this, And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency and all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. 
The principle here is that you can't outgive God, that God will always supply your need, that he will not run out on you as you are supplying the need of others, as you are giving his uh, blessings to you away. Over and over again, Paul makes this clear. He says, grace abound to give you all sufficiency. He distributes freely. He gives to the poor. He will give seed and bread. He says, we'll multiply your seed for sowing. And then verse 11, you will be enriched in every way. In other words, you won't be found wanting. You can't outgive God. He has everything we need, and He provides it for us. See, really, it comes down to a matter of faith. As we give, we are trusting that God will give and continue to meet our needs. He taught them this. He taught His people this early on when He commanded them that they sacrifice the first fruits of the land. They sacrifice the first fruits of a harvest. Why would He ask them to give the very first uh, fruits of the land, the very first fruits of the harvest? Because if you give away what you get first, what you're saying is, is, I believe there's more coming after this. If you're unwilling to give away the first you got, what are you saying? I think this might be it, and I'm going to hang on to it and just in case God doesn't come through. And so Paul is saying here, God has everything you could ever possibly need, and he will provide for your every need so you can give in faith, trusting that he will continue to take care of you. And so when you have this faith and you have this understanding of possessions, you understand that actually... Everything you have came from him. That it's not yours. That it all belongs to him. That, he, that he's just allowing you to hold it until he gets ready for you to give it away. Your money is not your money. It is actually his money. The Lord's just letting you use it until he has a purpose for it. it sort of changes the way we think about our stuff, doesn't it? It allows us to hold the stuff that we have with more open hands. And so we ask ourselves this morning, how is our faith? Are we believing that the stuff we have is God's and that if we give it away, he'll give us more? Or are we believing that he may not actually provide for us from this point on? But, but you notice that it's not just about the fact that God provides for us. It's about the fact he provides for us so we can give. We get so we can give. He says so that we, we can bound in, abound in every good work. He says, multiply our seed for sowing. He says that we will have everything we need so that we can be generous in every way. The purpose of God's gifts to us, guys, are not for us to spend on ourselves. They're for us to to provide for others, care for others. He supplies our needs so that we can meet the need of others. So we can give them what God has given us. So we can bless them with what He has blessed us. Our desire in serving the Lord, our desire in giving. Paul says here that as we give, God will bless. But our desire in giving should never be so that we can get more for ourselves. I think sometimes that, that's a big issue for us is because we think that God gives us what he gives us for us. And so rather than being rivers of blessing to the world around us, as God gives us stuff and we allow that to flow through us, we become stagnant ponds where we kind of hold up everything God has given us rather than passing it on. And we're like, why is God not blessing me? Well, what would you do with the last blessings he gave you? I think about James 4.3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You see, the purpose of our giving and the purpose of our receiving is not about what we want, but it's actually about what God wants. I read one old English proverb that makes a lot of sense. It says, he who serves God for money will serve the devil for better wages. Let me read that again. He who serves God for money will serve the devil for better wages. In other words, if you're serving God just because you think you'll get something out of it, 
if Satan offers you a pay raise, you may just consider that. No, we, we trust that God will supply our need, not so that we can become wealthy, but so that we can share his blessing with those around us. So we can continue to, to be a blessing to those around us. So we can be generous to those around us. Which brings up the, the last principle that I really want us to focus in on this morning. And it's found in verses 12 through 15. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanks to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Notice what Paul says here. He's saying that it's not even just about supporting other folks. It's about them praising God. That's the ultimate goal is for God to be glorified. You, you could say that, as we see here in a minute, that the gospel fuels our giving, that it's actually about what God is giving us, and it's about what God has given us in Christ, so we want to give to others. We want others to celebrate and enjoy the same God we enjoy. And as we give to them, we want to point them back to God. The ultimate end game is that God would be glorified, that God would be thanked, that God would be praised, not that we would be praised, not that we would be thanked. Not that people would think well of us, but that they would think well of the Lord. Or to put it practically, say as you give and as you serve and as you do, people say, oh, thank you. Thank you so much for this gift. You say, well, it's actually not mine. It's the Lord's. I was just handing it off. I was just holding it until he showed me what to do with it. And so when we say thanks to the Lord, when they say thanks to the Lord, we can say you know, with confidence, hey, this is a gift from the Lord. He blesses me, and I want to bless you, and you go and bless someone else. That's, and so he says, this confession of the gospel is what, come, what produces this submission. When he says in verse 13 that, uh, that comes from your confession of the gospel, that they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel, what he's saying there is your submission, your obedience, your willingness to do what God has called you to because of your confession of the gospel. Because you understand who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for you, you're obedient to give. Because of what Christ has done. Not because of what you have done, not because of what someone else has done, not because someone guilted you into giving, but because of who Jesus is. This obedience comes out of your understanding of the gospel. When we understand what we have been given, it becomes so much easier to give. I, I know I, I've been asked fairly often, you know, if I, I preach on giving... And my answer is always, yeah, every week. Not money specifically. Now, I don't preach a whole lot about money in, in particular, but I do preach on giving every week. And what I mean is this. I, I feel like when people fall in love with Jesus and they're walking with Jesus, they'll give as God uh, uh, calls them to give. Whatever he lays on their heart, they will give because they love him and they love what he has done. And if they don't love Jesus and they're not walking with him, then it doesn't matter what I say doesn't matter how hard I push. It doesn't matter how many guilt trips I give. They're not, they're not going to give like God is calling them to. And I wouldn't want them to, would you? But the Lord here says that he loves a cheerful giver. Not someone whose arm's been twisted. Not someone who's been tricked. Not someone who's been guilted. But someone who loves the Lord because of the gospel. You see, guys, it is true that you can give and not love. 
But it is also true that you can't love and not give. If you love the Lord, you will give and you will give as He commands and as He calls you to. And so, so the simple truth is this. As you understand the gospel, your giving takes new shape. Like if you believe this world is not your home, if you believe that your best home and your best life is in heaven, that everything here is temporary, that in spite of who you are and what you've done against God, you've been given uh, the, the forgiveness through what Jesus did for you on the cross. If you believe that Jesus rose again and that he'll take you home with him forever one day, if you believe those things and you believe that the things that you have in this world are, are not yours but the Lord's, you're going to hold on to this world really loosely. When God says give, you'll give. When God says go, you'll go. When God says do this, you'll do that. When you think about the fact that Jesus loves you so much that he died for you, so much that he gave his life for you. And then he has enough power that he owns the entire universe and he can give you whatever you need. Well, then you can give in confidence. You can give sacrificially. Be giving becomes a joyous thing to do because you're giving back to the one who's given you everything. You're giving back to the one who is, who's given you this, what Paul calls an un, in inexpressible gift, this unspeakable gift. As you're given, you think about the way uh, that uh, he is, he is pleased uh, as he has given to you. And so I ask you this morning, do you, do you give in that way? Do you give according to your understanding of the gospel? Or do you give a little? Do you give because you love the Lord or do you give because you feel like you're supposed to? And I do feel like I, I, I need to say this. Um, I don't preach this sermon because we're needing your money as a church. We're okay financially. It's not that we're trying to, you know, increase tithes and offerings and those sorts of things. In fact, this is, as I said, my, I'm 100% honest when I say this is probably my least favorite subject to preach on just because I feel like preachers get a bad rap for always being after people's money, and so I try to not do that very often. But, but the truth is, guys, as you look at God's Word and you look at what Paul says here, he makes it very clear that our giving should be a joyous event, that it should be a cheerful event. Not because the pastor tells us to do it, not because we feel like we're supposed to do it, but because we get to do it. Because we get to give back what God has blessed us with. We get to give back what He has given to us to take care of others, to lift up the name of the Lord Jesus, to see the kingdom of God advance over the world so that other people can experience the joy that we experience. And so let, let me go back over just very quickly these principles. The first principle is this, the more you give, the more you get. In other words, the amount of blessing you receive from the Lord is tied to your own generosity. If you give very little, you'll receive very little. And, and this has almost nothing to do with the, the dollar amount as it does with what you give in relationship to what you have. And here's what I mean. When you think about Jesus and the way that he talked about money, one of the most telling passages in, in the Bible when it comes to money is the, the passage that where Jesus and his disciples are sitting there and they're watching people give their offerings at the temple. And as they watch this, there's a, there's a, a widow who comes up and she, she puts in the, the last penny, basically, that she had. She puts in her mite and, and she drops it in the, the offering plate. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, you see that woman? He gave more than everyone else here. She gave more than everyone else here because she gave out of her poverty. She gave what she had to the Lord where everyone else is giving out of their excess. And his point was, it doesn't necessarily matter the amount. What matters is the heart. What matters is if you are giving cheerfully because you love the Lord 
or if you're giving simply because you feel like it's what you're supposed to do. And, and so, so we get what we give, and then God takes pleasure in the cheerful giver. He takes delight in the cheerful giver, as I just mentioned. He, he wants us to receive a blessing as we give. Please don't give if, if you feel like you're being forced to give. That's not why we give. That's not our purpose in giving. I'm certainly not speaking about this to try and guilt you into giving. I want you to give because you love the Lord. Also, God gives you more than you need. We trust that he will supply all of our needs. Also, we are meant to be rivers of blessing, not stagnant ponds. Guys, as God blesses us, let's bless those around us. Not just financially. I know we focus in on money, but it's not just financially, right? It's time. It's different aspects of our life that we can give to the people around us to make sure that people around us are praising the Lord and thanking the Lord. And then finally, the gospel fuels our desire to give. If we're having a hard time giving, if we're not being joyful in our giving, maybe we need to back up and ask why. Maybe it's because we've forgotten what we've been given. Maybe it's we've forgotten why we give. We don't give to check off a box. We don't give, um, we do give to, to fund the church budget, but that's not the reason behind it. The reason that we want to fund the church budget is because we want to see people come to know Christ. That we give because we love the Lord and we want other people to love the Lord. And we feel like as we give and as we serve, people will praise Him and give thanks to Him. And that's what we're about. That's what we want to be about. We want to see people praising the Lord. And so we give joyfully and we give cheerfully because we know that as we give, people will hear of the gospel. They will hear of the good news about Jesus. And so we give freely knowing that God will continue to supply our needs. If you're having a hard time with that this morning, ask yourself, when's the last time you just spent time looking into the gospel, looking into what you've been given in Jesus? Maybe this morning you need to take a step back and ask yourself, Lord, when's the last time I just was overwhelmed with joy? over the fact that you saved me, that you redeemed me, that you sent someone to speak to me about the gospel. The gospel will fuel our desire to give. And maybe this morning the reason why you don't give or the reason why you've never enjoyed giving is because you've, you've never met Jesus. Maybe this morning you're like, man, I, I don't even care about giving. What I need to know is why you people show up every week. What, what's the big deal here? Well, the reason we show up every week is because we believe that Jesus died in our place. We believe that he paid our penalty, that the Son of God paid our penalty, that he went to the cross, and as he died in, in our place, as he bled in our place, he was making a sacrifice for our sins. Because we've all disobeyed God. We've all missed the mark when it comes to serving the Lord. When it comes to doing what he calls us to do, we've all missed it. We all need his forgiveness. And the only way we could ever receive his forgiveness is through what Jesus has done on the cross. God the Son died in our place. As we talked about a few weeks ago, he died in our place, and as he died in our place, he traded his perfect record with God for our messed up record with God, our broken record with God. And he gives us a perfect righteousness before the Father. And, and if we trust on him, if we believe on him, God tells us that we can be reconciled to him and have a, a, a right relationship with him. And maybe this morning that's what you need more than anything else. You, you need a right relationship with him. If you would stand with us, and as you stand, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, we're going to have a time of, of invitation. Father, I pray that you'd be with us. God, I pray that as we leave today, God, that you would fill us with joy as we serve you, as we worship you, as we obey you in everything that we do. Lord, we thank you for these moments that you give us together. God, we thank you for these, these, these times of worship, these times of hearing from your word, these times of singing to you.
Lord, I pray that you'd be with us as a fellowship, Lord. Help us to follow you and serve you and love you. God, I pray for those who don't know you, that they would come to know you. God, help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you come as we sing?